The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to Season 3 of Students of Mind, the podcast that's all about opening up and normalizing discussions about mental health in ways that anyone can comprehend. In the first two seasons, we sat down with mental health experts and survivors to give you a full circle picture of each topic. In this new season, we will continue to explore the world of mental health through the insights of experts, healers, and individuals with lived experience. From alternative healing modalities to living with multiple illnesses, this season we will cover a wide range of topics with the help of a diverse selection of guests. My name is Jade, and today is the first of a two-part series looking at autism and mental health and how they interact with and affect each other. For this first episode, I'm joined with licensed psychologist Dr. Jessica Mysack. I hope by listening to the show, you're able to learn something new and gain some encouragement through hearing our experts and listening to the journeys of our guests. However, this show is not a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have about your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Students of Mind podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Jessica Mysack. Dr. Mysack is a licensed psychologist who has been practicing since 2010. Her primary training has included children, adolescents, and families with a focus on developmental disabilities. Recently, Dr. Mysack began posting on TikTok to spread awareness and education about autism and mental health. Well, good morning or good afternoon, Dr. Mysack. Thank you so much for being here today. No, thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so excited for our conversation. I think it'll be really interesting. But before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm Jessica Mizak. I am a psychologist in the Chicago area, and I have a, a private practice called the Help and Healing Center. Um, and my goal is to provide neurodiversity affirming psychological evaluations for children and adults. Um, which has also led to providing some other resources um, that are helpful for autistic individuals. Um, so a lot of the work that I do is, is more of the subtle presentations of autism. Um, so PDA and high masking autism um, in adults. And um, so that's been very interesting. So uh, I started my practice in, in 2020 and, and since then I've also sort of moved into developing a, an e-course um, that's about neurodiversity and providing some information on TikTok about autism and neurodiversity um, and also starting up an online community for autistic adults. So, um, you know, I think sort of doing this work, I sort of see where there's some areas where there's some room for improvement and, and some need for resources. And so um, trying to fill some of those gaps. That's amazing. I, I love that you are um, sharing your knowledge on TikTok. W what inspired you to use that as a mode of sharing what you know? Well, I was scared of it for the longest time. And so it took me a while before I, you know, actually decided that was something I wanted to do. But, you know, just, just doing the work that I do, I started coming across more and more creators who were talking about their own experiences and, um, you know, sharing sharing tips and sharing tricks and, and, and things that they had learned and, and their wisdom. And, um, you know, I was kind of amazed at the algorithm and, and how good it was at noticing that that was, I was the person who might be interested in that kind of content um, and, and kept seeing that. And, you know, there was a lot of people talking about their own experiences, but there wasn't a lot of um, professionals who were providing a lot of good information about that. And so, again, it seemed like, you know, a, a gap that, that I could fill. And so, you know, I sort of got brave and, and tried it. And my first videos were pretty terrible, but, um, you know, I stuck with it and have had a really good positive response. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I think it's been a really good thing. That's so cool. So yes, let's get into the topic of today. I'm excited to talk to you about autism spectrum disorder and how it relates to mental health. So just to start, can you talk about what autism spectrum disorder is and like how common it is? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so autism, it's a developmental condition and it impacts sort of all aspects of a person. It impacts how a person perceives information. It impacts how a person socializes with other people. Um, and it can cause problems with social interaction and communication with people who are not autistic. Um, so it really is just on a basic level a brain difference that impacts all areas of a person's life. Um, so, so many autistic people do have sensory sensitivities, um, they may have a strong need for routine, um, engage in some repetitive patterns of behavior, and also have some areas of, of special interests. Um, this can absolutely present very differently in different people, um, and, and because of that it can have very different sort of impacts on a person's life. Um, in terms of, of how common this is, um, the best estimate we have, the most recent estimate, is that probably one out of 44 children is autistic. Um, but those numbers keep changing. 20 years ago, you know, we thought it was, I think, one in, in 150. And so, you know, that's really a dramatic change and I think a result of us sort of better understanding how this looks in different people. Yeah, that's very interesting how that has shifted 
Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the more common misconceptions that there are out there about autism? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions is just that somebody that's autistic is going to look like Rain Man or Sheldon or the good doctor or some of those really, you know, big stereotypes that are in the media. Um, you know, these particular stereotypes are actually pretty unusual um, in, in the spectrum of autism. But I think that because of how popular those have been, you know, there's a lot of people out in the public that, you know, when someone says they're autistic, that's immediately worth what they think of. I think another misconception is that autism is way more common in boys than it is in girls or, or males as than females. Um, it is identified more in boys, um, but it is likely that probably the rates are about the same. Um, and I think, you know, because of that, there's many, many undiagnosed females who are autistic. Um, and many of these may have been misdiagnosed with other conditions or, you know, are, are high masking and, and sort of go unnoticed because what other people see is, you know, it, it doesn't look like autism, you know, in the eyes of somebody who doesn't, you know, isn't familiar with masking. And I think a, th a third misconception is probably just that if, um, if somebody was autistic, you would know it. And, and again, that's, that's true that some people have very, very obvious traits, um, that are very recognizable, um, but a lot of people don't. And, and I think, you know, when you look at adolescents, when you look at adults who are high masking, um, again, masking is, is this idea of, okay, well, I can learn some of these invisible rules and I can do these things and sort of act this way that I know that people are, are expecting me to act and, and ways that are gonna make you more comfortable. It's sort of putting in all this additional work um, and, and sort of doing things that are not intuitive, but sort of learning these invisible rules and, and following these invisible rules. Um, so somebody who's doing this, you know, especially as they get older, I mean, they have a lot of experience and they have a lot of practice doing this. Um, and so sometimes that can be really hard to identify. And, and you know, an average person and, and even a, a very educated person may not notice this unless they sort of ask the question, you know, why why do you make on contact and, and what is that like for you? You know, is, is that something that's just intuitive and it, and it feels right as you're connecting with a person or did you learn that you're probably being dishonest if you're not making eye contact and so, you know, you better do that or people aren't going to believe you. So I think people who are masking, I mean, they're often doing so out of a place of fear or a place of discomfort and, and feel like they have to blend in or people are going to think they're crazy or think that they're weird or, you know, not think that they're capable of doing things that they are. And so, you know, I think masking is a really critical component that is sometimes missed or, you know, not um, given enough attention to. Yeah, I, I was going to ask about masking because that's something that I've seen a lot of content on TikTok made about and uh, specifically like that being like a way that uh, like mental health implications show up mm -hmm. for people. So I'm excited to get into that. But before we do, can you talk a little bit about like the diagnosis process? Um, how common is it for people to generally get a diagnosis and like how long is that process? Yeah, so I, so I think it, it really dramatically differs, um, yeah. you know, sort of where where you're looking at and, 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 you know, sort of what age a person is. So many, you know, many people are diagnosed as young children. So so especially boys, especially, um, you know, kids that might have some other, other kind of complicating issues too. So maybe intellectual disabilities or, 
speech delays, you know, where they're already kind of on, on somebody's radar and, and going in for psychological testing and things um, in the first place. Um, so, you know, younger kids, I mean, sometimes they're diagnosed as early as two or three or, or around that age. Um, but I think for people who who don't have intellectual disabilities, people who are able to, you know, kind of parse out some of those invisible roles like we were talking about, um, it can be it can take a lot longer. And, and, and I think sometimes these kids are, are, are noted as, you know, being quirky or being kind of unusual or, you know, being sort of a little professor, you know, like they have, you know, preferring to hang out with teachers as opposed to um, other kids. Um, and so sometimes, you know, some of these people are now 20 or 30 or 40 or older and, and still sort of feeling different, still feeling like mm, there's something about me that's different. Um, and so that's that's a lot of the work that I'm doing right now. It's it's adults who, you know, they don't need school accommodations anymore. They just for themselves have always felt different, have always felt like certain things are harder than they seem to be for other people. Um, you know, and, and so they're sort of looking for that that answer, you know, that reason why why they do feel different. So let's say after someone gets a diagnosis, what are like what are the the steps that are generally taken next for that person? Are there like are are do you start talking about accommodations or like what what happens next? Yeah. So again, sort of depends on the age of the person yeah. and, and sort of what they're what's going on in their life. And so, um, you know, for a child, lots of times parents will enroll their child in in different types of therapy. So yeah, if that's speech therapy or a therapy for social skills or other kind of things, um, you know, or, or getting accommodations at school, getting an IEP, um, those are usually important things um, just to sort of help help the child at that point. Um, as an adult, it's a little bit more complicated. Um, so I think it can be really, really validating for a person to finally have an answer, to finally kind of understand why that's the case. But I do think it can be kind of emotional too, because I know a lot of the the people that I work with, you know, have some grief there. You know, they, they have this, like, man, what if I would have known this when I was a kid? What if I would have known this as I was going through school? Um, how, you know, how much kinder would I have been to myself? How much, you know, different could things have been um and and oftentimes people have to unlearn some of the things that they were doing to cope so many people have learned to not trust their body many people have learned to just tolerate stuff that is really uncomfortable and and you know part of i think understanding an autism diagnosis is is just being kinder to yourself and and giving yourself the accommodations um you know recognizing that okay you can't book you know, appointment, 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 that, that you need to, you know, kind of space things out. Or um, I think being being aware of your environment and, okay, maybe you need headphones, maybe you need a special tint on your glasses, you know, that that can make a really dramatic difference. So some of that, you know, some of that is, is formal. I mean, so sometimes, you know, if a person is at a place of work um, where they have accommodations available, um, and again, legally they should, um, or if they're in school where they, you know, are in graduate school or in college and they need some extra support, then absolutely sort of taking that diagnosis to, you know, student services or HR or whatever um, to request those things is really important. Um, but a lot of it is also being able to do those things for themselves, you know. So, so many people, you know, that I work with, they're not in school. They are either self-employed or unemployed. And, and so they don't need those things, but they need, you know, sort of that validation that, okay, it's okay that I'm doing this. It's okay that this is different. 
Um, and I do often recommend that that people start therapy if they're not not already in there. You know, I always say, you know, this is a good time for therapy. You know, if you're if you're willing to do that, because I think it's it's a major shift in understanding, and I think it can be a turning point in in some areas. And so I think having someone that is educated, somebody who can be supportive, you know, someone to kind of walk alongside you, I think is is really helpful to have. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Yeah, I, I love the piece of just like, yeah, like the diagnosis is kind of helping explain some of the things that may have been experienced through the years and kind of just validating their experiences. I think that's great. And I think that's very similar to like mental health diagnoses. Like when you get a diagnosis and you're finally like, oh, this is the thing that's been going on. It can be so affirming. Um and in my research for this episode, I found a lot of articles that said, like, autism is not a mental illness and just being very adamant about that. Um, but I did feel like I noticed that there is a connection between autism and mental health. So can you talk about, like, how autism and mental health are connected? Yeah, absolutely. So there are a lot of co-occurring mental health conditions. Um, so anxiety and depression are incredibly common in autistic people, um, you know, as are eating disorders, PTSD, OCD, and, and some personality disorders. And, um, you know, a lot of these do develop because of a mismatch between, you know, the way that an autistic person's brain works and the way that their environment is. A, a common analogy that I like to use is, is you know, it's kind of like being left-handed. You know, there's nothing wrong with being left-handed, but it's challenging because the world is made for right-handed people. And I think, you know, with neurodiversity, it's, it's very similar that, you know, you walk into any office building or any school and the lights are bright and fluorescent and, um, you know, places are, are loud and, and, you know, very sort of sensory stimulating. And so, you know, navigating this when your brain is very sensitive to this, um, or having parents who don't recognize this and who think, oh, you're just being stubborn. And so you have to sit at the table until you finish this food, or, you know, you got to go with, with what I say, rather than I'm going to be responsive to what you need. Um, that has an impact on people. And so, you know, a, a lot of people, it, it, it's very interesting. There's been some research um, about anxiety and depression in um, autistic adults. And there does seem to be, you know, sort of an increase in, in anxiety and depression sort of in the 20s and 30s, and then it goes down again. And, and I think a lot of that is people have a lot more control over their environment and people are, are deciding, you know, being able to choose what they want and, and, you know, probably masking to a lower degree. And so, you know, just being able to be more comfortable, sort of not forcing themselves into these situations that are going to increase that anxiety and, and depression and burnout. 
So you talked about this a little bit, but are there like specific mental health diagnoses that people with autism generally experience? So they definitely co-occur. Um, yeah. So I think eat, eating disorders and, and PTSD are, are other really big ones, um, you know, and again, you know, different people can experience the same trauma and have very different reactions to that. Similarly, I think eating disorders, you know, if you are sensitive to the textures of food, well, you might start eating a, a smaller, you know, variety of foods. And if you have a tendency to be very routine oriented, then you might, you know, sort of let that influence what, what food looks like. And so, yeah, I mean, I think those, I wouldn't say those are caused by autism, but I, but I think they're more common just because the, the two of those sort of, you know, sometimes reinforce each other, which can be tough. I think too, this idea of overwhelm and, and having reactions to, you know, just being overwhelmed, whether it's sensory overwhelm, whether it is, you know, oh my gosh, I was thinking things were going to go this way. And then suddenly there's this, this change that I wasn't expecting. People often have meltdowns or shutdowns. Um, and so this is, you know, a kind of a big emotional reaction um, and sort of becoming dysregulated. Um, and so this is, this is sometimes misunderstood. Sometimes this is seen as a as a tantrum, sometimes seen as being overdramatic, um, a panic attack. Again, from the outside, it, it can be a little hard to, to well, I, I think they're probably easy to identify. You know something is going on, but it's hard to sort of understand why that's happening. Um, but, but that is incredibly common with autism. And then another one that I, I sort of touched on earlier, um, burnout is a really big thing. And, and this is definitely, you know, everybody experiences or everybody could experience, you know, job burnout or, or things. But, but autistic burnout is a little bit different um, where it is, again, just, just too much exposure to a life that doesn't quite fit your needs. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's definitely related to masking. It's related to, you know, all this extra work and all this extra effort that autistic people often have to, to give, you know, just going through normal life. And it can look a lot like depression, but it doesn't really get better with depression treatment. Um, and so this is another one that's really important for, for people to understand and to identify so they can start getting better and, and getting out of burnout. So going along with that, like, you know, people with autism are looking for support around these things. Is it kind of the same support? that people not on the spectrum are getting, or is there kind of more uh, nuanced care that they have to look for? Yeah, so, you know, I think it is always important for autistic people to work with practitioners who understand neurodiversity and, and understand masking and how that impacts mental health. So, you know, I, I always recommend to clients that like, you know, find someone who is neurodiversity affirming, um, who sort of knows their stuff, has like a modern updated information about what this looks like in individuals. And if you can't find that, then then find somebody that you can relate to and, you know, someone who's willing to learn, you know, and, and, and you, you can learn together because I think there's probably not enough. But an example, so, so cognitive behavioral therapy is a super common therapy, um, you know, that, that many, many therapists use. Um, it's not actually the best fit for autistic adults. You know, I think it, it focuses on, on the thoughts and sort of tying thoughts and behaviors and, and emotions all together. And, and lots of times that is not the biggest issue. Um, that lots of times it is, you know, the, the sensory overwhelm or it is, um, you know, 
dealing with transitions or routines. And so, you know, I think there are types of therapy that, that can be more beneficial. And an experienced practitioner who, who understands that, you know, maybe can still use some aspects of CBT, but taking into account, you know, these other aspects of autism, I think are incredibly important. I mean, same kind of thing with eating disorder treatment. There's there's a huge overlap between, you know, eating disorders and autism and, and a treatment that is focusing just on eating and not taking into account kind of why why this was an issue in the first place. You know, it's, it's not going to be very effective. Yeah, so I think uh, making sure to have like a person who's well-rounded in or just knowledgeable about neurodiversity um, is key. But for people who think they may have autism or have gotten a diagnosis um, and don't know where to start, what is a good place for people to start, you know, receiving the supports that they need? Yeah, um, so that's a great question. Um, so it it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be curious about autism. I think that there's um, way more out there than there ever was before. Um, there are some really excellent books um, that are written by autistic authors that I, I often recommend to people. So, so two of the best that I think are um, Unmasking Autism by Devin Price um, and Divergent Mind by Janara Nuremberg. Um, and, and those are just two of a few. There, there are lots of books written by autistic authors. And so I think that those are great. And, um, you know, not just books. I mean, there's, there's blogs and websites and social media, you know, where people are sharing their experiences. And I think that that's, that's awesome. And I encourage people to, you know, that you don't have to invent everything yourself. If you can learn from wisdom that other people have gained, that's, that's awesome. Um, you know, if people are not sure and are kind of trying to figure that this out, there are some free online assessments that people can take to get a sense of like, you know, is this likely to be a thing? Is this a possibility? Um, and yeah, I think if this resonates, then, you know, trying to find a doctor who, who does this kind of work. And again, this, if, if we're talking about adults, it's challenging to find the right doctor, but I think it's also really important. Um, and, you know, in, in the autistic community, again, this, you know, there has been a, a, a very growing um, community uh, of autistic individuals. Um, you know, self-diagnosis is accepted um, because it is so hard to get a formal diagnosis, you know, both with cost and accessibility. And, um, you know, so, so, yeah, people don't have to have that diagnosis before they get started, you know, making some of these changes in their lives. Um, like I said, I, I am starting up a, an online support community for autistic individuals, and um, it's called Autistic Support Network, um, autisticsupportnetwork.com. Um, and, and my goal is just to provide this space that people can can talk to each other and ask questions. And, um, you know, hopefully this will lead to some other cool stuff. It is still, you know, in its very early phases, but I... Um, you know, I think there's such a need and, and so many people that I talk to feel really isolated. And I think that's really hard. Um, and so, you know, just having, having a friend, having somebody that you can connect with, I mean, can be life changing. So I, I encourage people to do that. Yeah. I, I love that. I love hearing all of the things that you're putting in place for people. And, um, I want to ask, um, about your your practice specifically like can you tell us a little bit about your practice and the ways that you support people with this diagnosis yeah 
So I, you know, sort of in my professional work, I, I mostly do evaluations. Um, so I, I don't do like ongoing therapy just because I, there's only one of me and I, and I don't have a ton of time. Um, so, which is why I'm, I'm setting up some of these other things, you know, that hopefully have a, a bigger reach and a, and a bigger impact. Um, but yeah, you know, I, my background was, was in working with younger kids and, and there's a very big difference between, you know, evaluating a child and evaluating an adult. And so I've tried to be very intentional with how I, I sort of do the whole process with adults. Um, I try to be very, very transparent, very upfront, um, have people, you know, people have the opportunity to provide a ton of information in writing because I know that, um, you know, lots of times, yeah, on the spot in a, you know, just a, in a live or, or video chat, I mean, it can be very overwhelming for people. And so, um, yeah, just providing lots of information, you know, I, I sort of outline a lot of the questions I'm going to ask. And so people can sort of think through that on the front end. Um, you know, I even tell them, you know, if you think of things later, you can send me stuff later. It doesn't, the door doesn't close at the end of our appointment. Um, and really just sort of meeting people where they are. Um, because again, this, this is information for somebody's mental health so they can move forward and, and sort of live their best life. And so, you know, if it doesn't have to be this, I don't know, this, this very black and white, um, sort of medical process, you know, and, and can be a little more friendly and a little more, I don't know, just easy on both sides. Um, I don't, I don't see a downside to that. Yeah. I, I love that because I think it can be scary to go in and get a diagnosis. So the fact that you're creating this welcoming, warm and relaxing environment for people to come and get this work is really amazing. So I'm so excited to hear about it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, const I'm constantly kind of changing, you know, and even based on, on feedback I get from clients, if someone's like, oh, man, this was really hard. Like, I... I should warn people on the front end that this thing is hard and you know I I am still learning and I am still sort of revising and and trying to make it um as good a process as it can be and I I don't know it's it's a work in progress but I think it's it's at a pretty good place yeah that's great okay so I have Two more questions. Um, this next question is something that I've been asking all of my guests this season. I want to put an emphasis on self-care this season because of how important it is. So my question for you is what is one thing you do each day to maintain mental wellness? Yes, uh, so that's a great question. I, I think my, I, I was, I knew you're gonna ask this and I really had to think because there's a couple of things, but uh, I think probably exercising. I, I feel good and I start my day every day by, you know, either hopping on the spin bike or yoga or, or weights or whatever. And, um, you know, I have learned that if I don't do that at the beginning of the day, then I will probably run out of time with all the other stuff that life throws at me. Um, and also I, I've learned that I feel good when I do it, you know, it just sort of sets me off on a, on a productive sort of positive path. So, um, yeah, I do that. And I, and I recently got a dog, so there's going to be a lot of outdoor walks in my future when the weather gets a little bit nicer here in Chicago as well. <laughs> oh, that'll be great. A new pup. That's amazing. So lastly, um, if myself and my audience would like to get in contact with you or stay up to date with the work that you're doing, how can we do that? 
Yeah. So, um, so like I said, I probably TikTok is is a great place to start. I am Dr. Jessica Mizak um, on TikTok. Um, and then if you are interested in my practice, it is um, the website is helpandhealingcenter.com. Um, and if you are interested in connecting versus, uh, over this um, support network, it is autisticsupportnetwork.com. Um, and I, I am very optimistic about it. It's my newest project, um, but I, I think it's going to be really cool. So I, I hope that people reach out and, and enjoy. Great. Thank you so, so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. I learned so much. I think people listening will learn a lot and it'll just be nice to have. I don't know. I've just been I've heard autism and mental health talked about in separate conversations, but a few in the same conversation. But I think it's nice to have a conversation where we kind of bridge the gap between the two. So thank you so much for being here and providing all this information. No problem. I, I appreciate being on here. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing and, and you know, sharing information. So I, I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Students of Mind. This has been a topic that I've been curious about for some time, so it was great to sit down with Dr. Mizak and talk about this. If you're interested in seeing more of her work, all of her links will be listed in the description of this episode. As always, social links for the Students of Mind team are listed in the description as well. Don't forget to check out the episode webpage, also listed in the description, for the full show notes and any episode resources that were mentioned. If you have a moment, please leave a rating and review for the show. This helps me tremendously by getting the show into more ears and letting new listeners know what they can expect from the show. Thank you so much again for listening. I hope you learned something new or resonated with something you heard today, and I will see you next episode. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.